Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, we're going to talk about how Isaac follows in the footsteps of his father's sin and even takes it one step further. What is the progression of sin? How can we learn from our parents' example? Trusting God even when we're afraid? Acting on our assumptions? And lastly, how God can steer the direction of our lives with open and closed doors. The passage is found in Genesis 26. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. Last episode, we talked about the birth of Esau and Jacob and how different these two twin boys were. Everyone in the family seemed to make a mistake last time. The parents played favorites. Jacob coveted the birthright that was rightfully Esau's. And then Esau did not guard his birthright. And instead, he impulsively gave it away. If you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it because we did talk quite a bit about favoritism and the difference between coveting and jealousy. At the beginning of that episode, we also talked about prayer and what the Bible says that can comfort us whenever God is silent. This week, we're going to take a break from Esau and Jacob and just focus on Isaac and Rebekah. And this will be really the last time that we focus on the couple without their children. So let's go ahead and begin reading in Genesis 26, verse 1. It says, There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I will tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. I will perform the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my command commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, if you remember, Abraham also went to the land of the Philistines and had an encounter with Abimelech, but most likely this is not the same man. Abimelech is his title, so that's just what they called the Philistine king. Remember, the Philistines are descendants of Ham's through his son Mizraim. It seems that Abraham has probably passed by the time that this is happening, and so that puts Isaac somewhere between the age of 75 and 100. And this is the first time that God comes directly to Isaac and tells him that the promise will be extended through him. And it seems fitting that that would happen because now his dad is gone, and God is no longer speaking through Abraham, but through Isaac. 
And it would make sense that God would want to reassure Isaac that now that his father is gone, that he still intends to fulfill his promise through Isaac. Let's read the promise given to Abraham because God uses almost the exact same language whenever he tells Isaac. This is in Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. That's what he just said to Isaac, right? He said, don't go to Egypt, go to the land that I will show you. Then in verse 2 of chapter 12, speaking to Abraham, God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that's also what he says to Isaac. He says, I will bless you and I will be with you and I will perform the promise that I gave to your father through you. And then he also tells Isaac that he's going to give this land to his descendants and that his descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. This is a promise that he also gives to Abraham several times. The first time being in chapter 13, beginning in verse 15. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. So he's telling Isaac everything that he told his father Abraham and saying all of these things are going to happen through you. Now that your father is gone, this is your legacy. Now notice in verse 5 he says, I'm going to do all of these things because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So this is not because of anything that Isaac has done, right? This is all because of his father Abraham. God is doing this for Isaac because his father was obedient and faithful. That's a picture of God's grace because grace is just unmerited favor that God shows to us. And this is definitely unmerited on Isaac's part. God's letting him know that. He's saying, you don't deserve this. You didn't do anything to deserve this. It was your father. Because of him, I'm bestowing this grace upon you. Okay, so let's go ahead and read what happens whenever he gets to the land of the Philistines. Beginning in verse 6 of Genesis 26, it says, So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister, for he was afraid to say she is my wife, because he thought, Lest the men of this place kill me for Rebekah, because she is so beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac, showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously she's your wife, so how could you say that she is your sister? And Isaac said, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this that you've done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So this is exactly what Abraham did to the king of the Philistines and also to the king of Egypt. To the king of Egypt in Genesis 12, 10 through 20, and then to the king of the Philistines in Genesis 20, just before Isaac is born. And so, since Abraham did this twice, and Isaac also did it, you might be tempted to think that this was just customary in those days, and there wasn't anything wrong with it. But because all of the kings, every time they find out, they are very angry, and they ask, why did you do this, that you've done some wrong to us? It shows that if a pagan king thinks that there's something wrong with what Abraham and Isaac are doing, then it's wrong. 
So it's just more likely that Isaac had heard about how his father had done this with the Egyptians and the Philistines, and he had just decided to do the same thing. There's only one difference between him and his father. Sarah actually was Abraham's half-sister. In Genesis 20:12, Abraham tells the king of the Philistines that she truly is his sister because she is the daughter of his father, but not the daughter of his mother. But then, of course, she is still his wife. So when we went through that study, we talked about how Abraham didn't outright lie, but he deceived both of these kings because he knew what they thought. He knew that they believed that she was not his wife. But here, Rebecca is not Isaac's sister at all. It's a complete outright lie. Now, she's his family member. She's a second cousin, but she is not his sister. And so, he's gone further than just deceiving. He is giving a complete outright lie. And this is often how things work, right? Children watch their parents, and they tend to either do exactly what their parents do, or they tend to do the opposite of what their parents do. And then, if you do follow in your parents' footsteps, then often it is like this, where we take it one step further. And that's either because, you know, we don't know all of the details. And so we're like, oh, well, dad did it and it worked out, even though we were unaware of all of the circumstances surrounding it. Or we just take it a step further because sin in itself is just a deterioration, right? It just shows the progression. I want you to listen to this verse in Psalm 1.1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So do you notice the progression here? First he's walking, and then he's standing, and then he's sitting. First he's just kind of walking around, listening to the ungodly people and what they have to say. And then he's standing right in the path right in the place where they are, standing right there in amongst them. And after he stands there for a bit, he's like, you know what, I might as well just sit down and get comfortable. And that's what happens, right? We start out just kind of walking along, listening, kind of feeling it all out. And eventually we just begin to stand there and get comfortable. And after a little bit, we just decide, you know what, I'm here. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to stay here. This is where I'm going to be. That's why it's dangerous for us to even entertain sin at all, to even walk amongst it, because that's what he does here. He just decides, I'm going to go down the same path that my dad did, and then he gets himself in deeper. If you scan over First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, it lists all of the kings, and it'll talk about them saying he followed in the ways of his father or he didn't follow in the ways of his father, showing that that's typical right? Showing that we pay attention to the way our parents act. And so each king either follows in his father's footsteps, which can be good or bad depending upon whether their father was a believer or not, or they decided to go completely against what their father did and do the opposite. In Ezekiel 18:14, we find an example of where the son does the opposite. It says, If, however, he has a son who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers but does not do likewise, that's what we want, right? A man that has a son and sees all the sins that his father has done and considers those sins and doesn't follow in his footsteps, does not do those same things. That would be our goal, right? That's what we want to do. We want to be able to recognize the things that our parents did wrong and change it, do different, and then recognize the things that our parents do right and follow in their footsteps in that situation. 
Whenever we repeat the sins that someone else does, that's the most foolish we can be. If we didn't have an example and we did something wrong without having any previous knowledge about it, then that's one thing. But if we've watched someone else do it and we still go ahead and do it, or if we've done it ourselves and continue to do it, then that's an entirely different situation, right? Listen to this verse, Proverbs 26, 11. It says, As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. That's how dumb we are, right? That's what God's saying. He's like, that's how stupid you are if you go back and do the same thing over again that you know to be wrong. So take one minute to stop and think, in what ways have you followed in your parents' footsteps, positively and negatively? How have you watched your parents and seen what they've done and said, wow, that was a good idea. I'm going to do that also. And in what ways have you watched them and seen what they've done and not learned one single thing? Most likely, if you haven't sat down and thought about this before, there's probably several things that you're doing just because that's what you know. Not because you've actually analyzed it and thought it through, but just because this is what you saw, this is what you know, this is how it happens. And that's why that verse in Ezekiel is so important because it says he sees what his father does and he considers it. That's what we need to do. We need to think a little bit. Think a little bit about the things that your parents have done, good and bad. Okay, these are the positive things that my parents did. These are the negative things that my parents did. And where do I line up with those things? Am I following in their footsteps in the good ways and not the bad? Thankfully, Abraham gave Isaac many, many, many good examples. And so one bad example still keeps him following the Lord. But we have to be careful of that. We have to be careful that we give more good examples than we do bad so that our kids don't have to do the opposite of every single thing that we do. They can learn from our positive things. And that way, if they do not consider our ways and they just do the things that they know out of habit, then they'll be okay, right? If most of our actions are good examples to them, then if they follow in those things, then they'll be okay. But if most of our examples are bad to them and they don't pay attention to that and they don't say to themselves, hey, I need to not do that, then they're going to end up in a bad situation. So think about that for a moment. What good examples are you sending to your kids and what things might you need to change before they become habit and just all that your kids know? So now we see why Isaac might would have done this, but Isaac also had a reason not to do this and he just didn't pay attention to it because God had just told him to go to this place. And he had also just told him that he would be with him, that he would bless him, that he would grow his family. So if God is going to bless him and God is going to be with him, then why was he so afraid that he had to lie? Because that's his answer, right? That's why he had to do it. Well, I was afraid. In verse 9, whenever Abimelech asks Isaac, why did you do this? He said, well, because I said to myself, what if I die on account of her? So he was afraid. And immediately after God told him all of the blessings that he was going to give to him. That seems illogical to us. When we look at it from that perspective, it's like, why in the world? Why are you so afraid? What is your problem? He just told you. Can't you have a little more faith than that? Listen to Proverbs 29, 25. It says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord should be safe. So that's what he should have done, right? 
He feared these men, and that became a snare to him. And if he would have just trusted the Lord, it said he would be safe. And so that seems logical to us, but if we're honest with ourselves, do we feel like this sometimes too, even whenever we know that God is the one telling us to do something? I bet if we're honest with ourselves, we can say that there have been times in our lives that we know for a fact that God is the one telling us to go in this direction to take this job, to take this stand for something. And we're still afraid because it's still something we don't know exactly what the outcome is going to be. You know, we're not immune to feelings like that. What we have to do is we just have to be aware of it. Because if we're aware, again, it's like considering the steps of our parents. If we're aware of what we're doing, if we're aware, hey, God just told me to do this. I need to trust him, even though I'm afraid, then we'll be okay. We just have to be aware and we have to act on what we know and not on what we feel. That's why the Bible tells us that our hearts can be deceiving, right? Because our hearts tell us, be afraid, be afraid. Our flesh says, these people could kill us. But God says, trust in me and you have no reason to fear. So the next time that you know that God is telling you to do something and you're still afraid, just take a breath. Stop and just remind yourself that he's in charge. He's perfect. He knows what he's doing. And all you have to do is trust him. And then just take a leap of faith. Just do what he asks, even though you're afraid. Okay, so let's look at what happens when they get there. He lies and he says that she's his sister, but thankfully, no one takes Rebecca as their wife, right? Thankfully, that doesn't happen because they could have very easily. But what ends up happening is the king ends up looking out the window and seeing them together and realizing by the affection that they're showing for each other that they aren't brother and sister. This is definitely more than that. Now, notice that whenever he realizes this and he confronts Isaac, he is very angry. And then he tells them, no one is allowed to touch this woman or this man or they'll be put to death. That's how serious he takes this, that he imposes the death penalty upon anyone that harms these two. And so this just shows again that Isaac had no reason to be afraid. These people did fear God and they were moral people. And he made an assumption and was completely wrong about it. That's why it's a bad idea to act off of our assumptions because oftentimes they're not correct. It's much better for us to just be up front and just trust God. You know, do what we're supposed to do, which is tell the truth, be honest, and just trust that God's going to take care of that. Because whenever we assume, oh, this is probably what's going to happen if I say this, so I'm just going to say this instead, that puts us in a sinful situation, first of all. And second of all, we may be wrong. So we may be sinning for no reason. We may be causing problems for the other people needlessly. That's what happens here, right? That's what Abimelech says. He says, you could have brought guilt upon us just because you assumed something about us that wasn't even true. So we have to be very careful about that. You know, what's your tendency? Is your tendency to start reasoning things out in your mind? Okay, if I say this, they're probably going to say this. Or if I do this, they're probably going to do this. So maybe I need to change my course of action and do this instead. Even though you know God is either calling you to do a certain thing or that the Bible teaches specifically for you to do one thing over the other, but you choose the other because you're afraid, because you're making an assumption on something that you don't know. What's your tendency? You know, it's okay. If that's your tendency, at least you're aware of it. At least you're aware of it. But let's be aware. 
Let's be aware of making assumptions and being afraid and acting on how we think a man is going to react instead of just doing what we know God wants us to do and trusting him for the outcome. Okay, so this is the last part. We're going to read the end of this chapter, beginning in verse 12. It says, Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flock and possessions of herds and great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of his father Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, which means quarreling, because they quarreled with him there. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one too. So he called it Sitna, meaning enmity. And he moved from there, and he dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth which means spacious, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear. I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with one of his friends and Fichol, the commander of the army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said, We found water. So he called it Sheba, meaning oath, or seven. Therefore the name of the city was Beersheba to this day, the well of the oath, or the well of the seven. So notice that they were allowed to live in the land without anyone touching them for a little while. But it says in the same year that he reaped a hundredfold and he became so prosperous that the other people envied him. This tells us that God did exactly what he told him he would do. He has grace upon Isaac by protecting Rebekah from being taken as their wife, by protecting them both whenever Abimelech found out. Even though they didn't trust God, So they did not deserve his protection. God gave it to them anyway. That's his grace on them. And then now he's doing exactly what he told them he would do. He's blessing them and making them prosperous. Again, not because of anything that they've done. Just because he is having grace upon them. And notice what happens. The people take notice, right? They see, hey, he's doing well. But they become jealous of that and so they send him away. 
It says that they covered up the wells that Abraham had dug all of that time ago. And it could just be that they covered them up, whatever. But the thing is, is that providing that every time he digs one, they say, oh no, that one's mine. Oh no, that one's mine. This can be considered as an act of hostility because people need water, right? And the animals need water. This is a need that they're keeping from them. And so they're acting in a hostile way towards Isaac and his servants. And Isaac could be angry about this. But instead, he just says, you know what? I'm just going to move on. I'm just going to go to a new place. He just keeps on moving. This is Isaac's way of making peace. Because yes, he could be mad at them, but also they could have been mad at him. And they were mad, but they were also kind to him. And so he could have a fit about it and fight for it. Or he can just move on to another spot. God calls us all to be peaceful in any way that we can. Listen to this verse in Romans 12, 18. It says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do everything you can to be peaceful with others. All that's possible. Here's another reason that it was good for Isaac to go ahead and just move along. Because maybe this was God leading him further away from the city. God's just closing the doors to this place so that he'll move on to another place. Nope, not there either. Okay, I'll go on. I'll move to a different spot. And then he covers the well up again. Nope, not here. Not the place I want you to settle. Keep going. Okay. And he goes along to another spot. He digs a well there and God says, yep, this is the spot. Everything's going to work. It's a hard thing to know sometimes, isn't it? Because sometimes God wants us to stay and fight, but sometimes he wants us to move on. And here's the thing. There's no reason for him to fight over this. If he can just move on, then he should just move on. This isn't a spiritual stance. There's no reason for him to stand up for the Lord in this situation. He's only standing up for himself, and he doesn't have to stand up for himself. He can just move on. So in our own lives, whenever God closes a door, it's for us to determine, okay, Did he close this door because he wants me to move on? Or did he close this door because he wants me to fight? And I personally would say that if it's for selfish reasons, then we need to move on. If it's for reasons that are spiritual, if it's reasons for him, for his goodness, then we stay and fight. But if it's just for our own selfishness and we can move on, then move on. That's just God saying, nope, not here. Nope, not this way not right here. And so we just need to keep going until God opens that door up wide. Whenever he shuts the door, that is very possibly his leading us to a different place. So we just need to stop fighting that and go ahead and move on. Now notice that after a while, when he does move on, when they've done everything to try to make things difficult for him and he still is prosperous and he still is blessed, they notice that. Listen to what they say in verse 28 when they come to him because they come to him and they're trying to make this treaty and Isaac's like, wait, I thought you hated me. Why are you here? And here's what they said. They said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. When we act in a way that is pleasing to God, others see it. And then it's a demonstration to them then they come to know the Lord through us. They begin to see His goodness and His grace, and that can cause them to be followers of Him. Listen to what Jesus tells the people in Matthew 5, 16. He says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. 
Let our good works be so evident that they're so visible, like a light shining, that people will see them and that it will cause them to glorify God. It will cause them to know Him because of the things that we do. That's what they do here. They may not be His followers, but they're definitely acknowledging the Lord and His ability because of the way that Isaac has acted, because they've watched and they see what's happening. And so they come to him and they say, hey, we didn't harm you. Yeah, we sent you away. We were a little intimidated, whatever, but we didn't harm you. We sent you away peacefully. And now we're just asking that you promise us that you'll live peacefully with us because they see that God is with them. And if they decided to fight with Isaac and his family, they know that they would lose. They see that God is making Isaac prosperous and they know that there's nothing that they can do to fight against that. And so they ask for him to make a treaty with them. And he agrees to do that. And then it says, while he's doing that, his servants have dug a well and they find water there and they come and tell Isaac and Isaac names the place Sheba and calls the name of the city Beersheba. This is the same place that his dad had gone to whenever he left Abimelech, king of the Philistines, after his life. So it should be a place of comfort to Isaac and probably why God led him to that place because that's where his father had been. This is actually where Isaac grew up. So that's all we have for today. Next week, we'll get back into Jacob and his brother Esau and another deception on Jacob's part. There are just more and more struggles with these two. Lots of fighting, lots of drama. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. If you're enjoying this study, please leave me a five-star review and leave comments wherever you're listening. You can also email me. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.